Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Uncommon Life Project. My name is Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. And we have a fun show like we had in the bumper, Kevin Burke. But really, the whole bio is amazing. But really, why do you want to have him on the show, Brian? Well, I think Kevin's been instrumental in um, you know our career path. And I think he, he highlights a vein that we want to talk about where you know not everybody's going to make a massive transition or change the scope of their life. And so I think Kevin has a great uh, story. Uh, I think he has a great God story and uh, how he's used real estate to kind of amplify and enhance his, uh, you know, his wealth. If I can sum that all up, he is so relatable. Kevin Burke, thanks for being on the show. Welcome. Well, thank you guys. I'm really glad to be here and it makes me really proud and uh, humble to hear you say that uh, I've helped you guys in, in your career. Absolutely. In full disclosure, we've known Kevin for about six years now, and it's been fun to see his uncommon path unfolding. And it's been a, a blessing and humble, humbling to be a part of that. So let's get right into it, Kevin. Tell us about what got you here today and kind of this uncommon path for you. Wow. Um, well, you know, really growing up, I came from a family that uh, they had, my parents had just general careers. My mom was a teacher. My dad had a couple of different careers, but uh, they weren't real entrepreneurials or uh, business minded. And uh, I'm not really sure where I kind of got that from. But when I first came to Iowa State uh, to coach at Iowa State, uh, one of the, the coaches had his own side business aside from coaching at that time. We didn't make the money that these coaches today make at mm -hmm. colleges. So uh, we we're always looking for ways of making a, a few extra bucks. So really, when I got into real estate, it was just kind of a a whim. You know, I, I always had an interest in it. Uh, growing up, I had an old friend that that had some apartments. So I used to help him do some maintenance and cleaning and that kind of stuff. One of my part-time jobs was cleaning common areas uh, of another building uh, in high school. So I always had an interest in real estate. But I had an opportunity to buy a property in 1992 as a duplex, just a block away from where I lived. And uh, really didn't know what I was getting into. And uh, <laughs> Uh, fortunately enough that uh, it worked out pretty well. Um, How much was that duplex in 1992? It was uh, $72,000. Wow. For both sides. For both sides. And what were you doing at that point in I your was, career? I was coaching at Iowa State, coaching track and cross. Yeah, it, it, it was, the only nervous part was just making sure that I had it rented. Mm -hmm. I really hadn't thought about maintenance or upkeep or anything like that. Uh, I was just making sure that I had somebody in there. I figured yeah. I could figure the other things out, which I, I kind of did a lot of it learned by doing. Yeah. But uh, when I bought that property, I got an interest rate of nine and a half percent. And I thought, steal. <laughs> yeah. I thought that I got it under 10% interest and I thought that was phenomenal. Wow. 
Were you, did you own your house where you're living then or were you renting? Yeah, uh, we had, uh, we owned our house, not outright. So this is a second it, property though. Right, gotcha. right. Cool. Yeah, and I was fortunate that I had some family that was loaned me some money to be able to help with the down payment because you have to come up with 20% uh, for no questions asked property. in 92. Right. Yeah. yeah, and so. I mean, I was um, 11. I don't know why I'm back to like, I know what I'm talking about, but. Yeah. But you know, uh, slowly was able to pay that, pay, pay them back, and uh, you know it, it went well. And after about five more years, had another opportunity to buy another property and another duplex, an old house that was converted into a duplex, and huh. and bought that as well for yeah. about eighty nine thousand. Okay, um, and then uh, so you're two properties in, but four available renters right right okay Four right. signs what were you getting for yeah. monthly cash flow on that oh um a total income you mean yeah um about a thousand bucks okay uh, okay well it, it was definitely doing well yeah it was doing pretty yeah, good from a cap rate perspective um so about five years apart between properties you said right yeah and right. that was kind of like working up building equity in one saving probably on the side Right. Trying to get right, yeah, you know, and I think that also just learning what I was doing. Right, uh, I did a lot of plumbing, and plumbing is the <laughs> one thing I hate to do because I'm no good at it. Inevitably, it leaks, but I learned a lot. Uh, uh, actually, I I can change out the insides and guts of a toilet without any problem anymore. Huh. So, uh, <laughs> how did that money help you in your life as a family? Did that help provide income, or did you just? circle it back into the business everything or was, was everything was going right back into it okay uh, i always had hoped that we would have additional income because i always thought oh a few extra hundred dollars a month you know that's going to be great mm -hmm. but uh, inevitably i always just kind of i'm a saver so it yeah. always kind of went right back into <laughs> it and held on to it and that's why i was able to then buy another property yeah. uh, within a, a few years and then after that bought another uh, old house that was converted into a duplex, actually a, a, a threeplex. Uh, one of them was just a one bedroom <laughs> studio Shanty. apartment. Yeah, it was, it was, College uh, kids don't need much. Yeah, that's right. Um, how much was that for? Oh, uh, roughly 71,000. Okay. Wow. Three units for 71,000. So, okay. Yeah. And, you know, after that third unit, then since two of them were converted, it, it became a lot of work. Mm -hmm. you know, the upkeep on those units uh, was pretty difficult, uh, time-consuming. Sure, was the biggest thing. And uh, there was always development going on in Ames, Iowa. You know, with the university here, there's always apartments being built, so there was a lot of competition. So. I finally got to a point. I had a good friend of mine that was doing some developing, and he uh, agreed to help me sell the three apartment buildings and build an eightplex, a brand new unit that I wouldn't have <laughs> near the maintenance and upkeep of, mm. uh, a little bit easier to rent. And so in uh, 99, that's what we chose to do. Oh, so wow. all three properties and uh, made about, oh, roughly around 50,000 off of all three of those properties, which obviously was used for the down payment. That Each or total? total. Okay, total. total. Let's talk about that. I want Brian to talk about, so in uncommon talk, we call that leveling up, where you cash in your houses to get a hotel. 
That makes sense. Right. So Monopoly. Sure. Monopoly. Yeah. Monopoly. So talk through that. Why do we call that leveling up? Why is that so important? And just kind of walk through that. Well, I think it's like multiple points. You know, you're you're it's just everything is economies of scale, I think. And and to take multiple separate units and to roll that equity into one unit just probably made a lot of sense from a cash flow perspective and and um maintenance maintenance and then not only that but now you have an asset that's worth you know hopefully potentially a lot more than the sum of the three and so um and then not only that you're getting all that under one mortgage payment Mm -hmm. as opposed to three separate mortgage payments and so i think it's interesting because a lot of people build real estate or businesses and they get emotionally attached Great point. And so I think one of the things they, in this season too that I want to highlight is that thought process to like, I'm going to sell this to get something bigger. Because I think it's hard when people start on this path to like, or you see them on Shark Tank a lot of times, you know, they want, I want to retain 90% equity. And right. I, you know, I want to retain 10%. $7 million. And I, want, I want $82 million. What? And, it's like, what? <laughs> and it's like, they're all, you know, that thing is their baby and they can't yeah. think about anything beyond that. And so I think it's incredibly, you know, important to talk about those those things because when you look at building wealth and this the cyclicality of our economy, you know, these people that have a lot of money, I mean, they're buying and selling things a lot and taking gains mm-hmm. and consolidating those gains into other bigger assets. So. Was it tough emotionally to do that? Let go of those three, or were they just bleeding you dry? Maintenance wise, you were ready. Yeah, to go. They, I wouldn't say they were bleeding you dry, but time-wise it, yeah. it ate up a lot of my time it was hard get letting go of the first one you know because that yeah. was the first one i had had that the longest and it was a true duplex it wasn't converted and that was the one i had the least amount of maintenance problems right. with but sure. also that was the one i had the most equity in too sure because if i in 92 it started you had two renters you had a duplex there and then you got another one duplex so there's four and then you got the seventy-one thousand one. that's three that's seven units you just kind of cashed it in for just a nicer, newer building, and then one more tenant to be able to manage. But cash flow wise and bandwidth time, oh my, far better. So much better, so much better. Yeah, and you know, and when you consolidate now, if you have a problem, you're always going to the same place. You're not going to different parts of town and driving Mm -hmm. all over the place, Uh, uh, trying to do maintenance on stuff. So yeah, yeah, it, it was such a relief. Uh, and stress reliever of being able to consolidate everything into a brand new building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. So walk us through. So 99 that gets built brand new, gussied up, mm. polished, looking so good. Little shine. <laughs> and then 2001 hits and the economy contracts. How did it perform? How did it? Great. Like, great question. Walk us through that. Yeah, it it actually did well. Uh, The location where this was built was just a mile away from campus, north side of town, brand new development. The whole area was new. So it was a real desirable and still is, for the most part, a fairly desirable location. Mm -hmm. So when they talk about real real estate, you know, what's the most important thing is location, location, location. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. And so I didn't really feel any pinch uh, during that period of time. Uh, but I did get an opportunity to uh, purchase a nine-hole golf course uh, yeah. north of town, and I used the this building as my uh, investment into uh, that venture. Sure. So did that for three years, four how that, years. How does that work? You using the building? I want to walk through that. Like, how do you use the building to secure your 
33% or whatever the percentage was? Well, my partners at the time didn't have as much freedom as I had. Even though I was coaching, I had a lot of time off in the summers. Obviously, that's golf season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I had a little bit more flexibility with my schedule than they did. So it was more of an investment in me and wanting me to be okay. a time. part of it. Time. So okay. that's where we put the, the building into it as that's my right. investment. And so that became part of the golf course. Cash flow. Uh, exactly. Okay. All right. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. It's kind of like your collateral to the, as opposed right. to putting up cash. And are you still the track coach at this point? 99? Uh, yes. Okay. Actually, yeah, that was uh, 2000 when I when I put that into the golf course. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I stayed into that for three years. So I still had the building was we were still involved. But at this point, this is when I turned everything over to a property manager to allow them to take care of that because I was doing more things at the golf course. Sure. And, you know, that was great for the first year uh, the <laughs> golf course and after that uh, things turned south and uh, we struggled to cash flow at the golf course and after four years uh, I decided that I wanted to opt out of the golf course our hope was to eventually manage the uh, the golf course long enough to be able to develop it in to uh, some kind of homes or you know multi-living property whatever it might be and we knew that that just wasn't going to happen for a period of time and my pockets weren't very deep. So I opted out of the golf course and basically took my building back, which mm -hmm. I still have today. Yeah. So I want to talk about that because I think some of your best assets are the times when you're struggling, going through challenges. What would you have done different in that period? Uh, boy, probably gotten out of it sooner. <laughs> <laughs> would you say well, never cool gotten into it? A golf oh, course, yeah. You know, you say, hey. On the golf course, you, know, you can go out pretty cool. Your kids are all great uh, golfers. Uh, my kids are. They are good, good golfers. So it uh, didn't help my game at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I just when I was looking to get out of it, I made sure that I I talked to enough other people uh, in the community just to see get their take on how long they felt. Uh, you know, it was going to be before we could develop the golf course, and it did ultimately get developed, but it was quite. A quite a few years later. So um, I, I felt like I just probably should have looked into that sooner. Mm. But otherwise, you know, I, I felt like I made some pretty good decisions. Sure. I got, I got lucky. Not got lucky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially break even or something like that. You yeah. had some nightmares on that deal. So one of the things I think, you know, as we look at your bio and the things that you talked about ahead of this, you know, you wanted to talk about one of those points on the, on the sheet was just being connected to lots of different people and lots of different industries. And I think, one of the things that um, that I think, you know, just outside looking in, you've done a great job with is is networking in the community. Can you kind of talk about how that started for you and, and you know, what you do actively to, to pursue other people within the town and community here? Yeah, I think that uh, I was fortunate in my younger years that I just came across the right people at the right time. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily my doing or seeking them out, uh, which I think now is more I seek those type of people out. But, you know, I think just being connected, whether you're in a big community or community the size of Ames, which is only 60,000 people, uh, I think just getting to know the right people um, mm -hmm. of all walks of life, because you just never know when they can help you. Mm -hmm. And whether it's a banker or an insurance guy, or 
uh, a plumber. Uh, <laughs> those yeah, plumbers. Yeah, yeah, real no, close no. to those guys. Um, so, you know, I think that just being able to to lean on people that, you know, you can trust uh, trust them that they're not going to gouge you and that they're going to educate you. If I did have to hire a plumber after trying to fix something multiple times, then I'm looking over their shoulder watching what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So that way I learn from them. But, you know, there's, I've gotten to the the point in my life where oftentimes I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going <laughs> to let them do it, but I know who to, I know who to call now Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I consider them friends. Sure. So I think right. that makes a big difference of just knowing uh, different walks of life. You know, yeah. again, like I said, you know, I, I'm bankers even, you know, I, uh, my l- most recent purchase was because I had a friend of mine who was a banker that had a loan on another eight plex and just said, Hey, you know, he didn't want to lose the loan. He brought it to me, brought the idea to me. So uh, that makes a big difference. Yeah. So kind of to bring that full circle, because um, I think it's really important. So you had these multiple kind of duplex in the house. You kind of consolidated that. You got the building. Building helped you kind of get a stake in a golf course. You walked away with that, <laughs> kept the building. In 2007, which I think is important that in that yeah. process, you realize that you needed a manager for the eightplex, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Then after the golf extravaganza, then <laughs> then you pulled back, had your own building, and then you kept the manager, right? Because you saw the value of that. Right, right. What was that thought at, at that point? Well, my thought process was that if we, if I had one unit empty for a year, you know, so roughly 80% occupancy, which is the national average, uh, which although in Ames, it's never been that low. Um, I felt if I had one unit empty for a year because I couldn't get it rented, that loss would equal about what I'm paying the property manager. So I felt by having the manager and them working to get it rented, that it was worth having them do it. Not only getting it rented, but then also they're overseeing the property, doing all the maintenance, they're showing it, they're doing everything. Yeah. So uh, I I felt like it was worthwhile. Sure. Okay. So then... Your building, there was kind of almost like a sister building, right? Or close, one right. close to yep. your building that you didn't own. That goes up for sale. The banker's got the note. He comes to you because he had kind of your note and said, hey, we can just shift some equity. You got a second eightplex. Exactly. Um, that was in 2016? 15. 15, yeah. 15. okay. Yeah. It, and that was that was actually very nerve-wracking, believe it or not. <laughs> Uh, buying another building and not having to pay a dime. I mean, what? think yeah. about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had enough equity in my building that, that they used that as the collateral to be able to pot, buy a, another building. Yeah. Exactly like it. Um, I wish I had thought of it sooner. <laughs> OPM. <laughs> Where were you guys? Yeah. yeah. Sooner. But uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely eye-opening, but it was a, a little nerve-wracking as to whether I should do it because... Obviously, when you're buying a building and you're not putting anything into it, you're having to take out a loan for the full purchase uh, price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the mortgage on that is pretty high. Yeah. So it really wasn't cash flowing and, and barely cash flows now. But it's building equity, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it has still allowed me to uh, continue to, to do things in the original eight you know, making sure that's taken care of. So Brian walks the listeners through how he could get that with zero down. Cause obviously he's using equity from the eightplex, but I think it would be interesting just to talk through that. 
Yeah, I, I mean, so I want to use round numbers just for the listeners. These aren't exact numbers, but, you know, he had, you had so much equity in the first building. Let's yep. just say it was worth a half a million dollars for, mm-hmm. for, to round off or whatever. But, um, you know, you had over, I think, 50% equity in that building, meaning your debt on that building was less than 250000 Uh Typically, these buildings, they want 20% down, sometimes 25% mm-hmm. down. And so what your banker kind of presented to you was, hey, we can pull some equity out of this one building or basically use that as collateral to kind of more fully finance the second building. And the collateral between the two, you still had enough equity that the bank felt comfortable because mm-hmm. they had both notes. Yep. Is that right. kind of accurate? That's exactly how it happened. Yeah. yeah. Good. And, and, that, and that, I guess the last thing I'd say is that equity that you had in that building was from all the people that had paid you rent yes. over the years. So it really wasn't your money. It was their money that afforded you that opportunity. Right. But your money initially to get the building started and the vision to, Absolutely. you know, to take that risk. Yeah. And it, the other nice piece that... Again, I, I am so blessed. I am truly blessed uh, that it really helped in this whole situation is that my property manager was also managing that property. So Pretty the turnover was totally seamless. Wow. Mm-hmm. It wow. was just a matter of the tenants all that really, checks to, to me instead of yeah. <laughs> All that really went into play when we were thinking about that decision. I remember you were like, this is this, this is that. And it seemed like from our perspective, like, why wouldn't you use other people's money like you always have? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But there is a risk there. I get yeah. that. I think the other thing I want to touch on with you and kind of the way you bring it up. So um, you do kind of have, I would say you don't kind of have, you do have a deep faith in God. And, and I think what was it like in that, in your faith to take this risk? And the thing that I've been kind of thinking about just with Philip and I and our business, we see a lot of things, you know, the yoke is light. When like God is with you, these things kind of are like, why wouldn't I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, versus other points in your life, I'm sure that you didn't feel so light. And I think sometimes as entrepreneurs or something like we, I don't want to say downplay that, but I just, as I'm getting older and the more we're seeing deals and things, it's like, you can tell when the yoke is light with these opportunities and you can tell when it's not. Can you like just share kind of sure. your feelings on that? Or Yeah. You know, my faith that. Uh, You know, I I grew up as a Catholic, um, went to Catholic school all through high school, um, but then went through a a very dark period in my my faith walk um, where there there wasn't any faith. Um, And it wasn't until recently that uh, uh, light bulbs have gone on and and God has really um, entered my life. And it's important to me to... uh, to look to the future, you know, there, there's a point in your life where you want to be successful. Um, but now God has put me in a position where I want to be significant, mm. uh, moving forward. Mm. And I want to leave not necessarily a legacy to my kids, but I, I, I want to, I want to leave them. Uh, I want to leave them something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, you talk about a leaving a legacy and that's, I, my viewpoint has changed on that too a little bit because mm-hmm. I think that God has uh, come into my life and brought Jesus Christ to be the center of what, why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that's what I want to leave for my kids mm-hmm. um, more so than a legacy of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm hopeful that I'm leaving them with the desire to 
to manage their money well and wisely and to look at how they can um, utilize the resources that God has given them to mm -hmm. uh, be able to pass on the same to their children. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I don't know if that necessarily answered yeah. your question or not, but that's, that's kind good. of where I am with, cool. with uh, you know, as I'm making decisions moving forward. Sure. You know, and I've heard one of your earlier podcasts, you're, you're talking about now money and then money. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I'm at a point in my life at 57, soon to be 58, where, you know, I'm, I want to retire within X number of years. My wife wanted to retire two years ago. Um, you know, still isn't quite there yet. Um, but, you know, we're at a point where we're trying to position ourselves and utilizing this real estate as a way to hopefully uh, bring that to light sooner mm -hmm. than later. Sure. Um, but also that retirement doesn't meaning doesn't mean an right. end. Right. Uh, just means that we shift our focus on to other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about your side hustle and we've talked a little <laughs> bit about your main hustle, the track and field. When did that cross over to Iowa Sports Foundation? Well, uh, in the year 2000, uh, uh, the current, or the, at that time, the current executive director of the Iowa Sports Foundation uh, was Jim Hallahan, former basketball coach for Johnny Orr at Iowa State. So Jim and I had known each other. We coached both at Iowa State at the same time. And uh, so Jim was looking to hire someone uh, to run events for him. And so uh, I made that decision to, to move out of coaching and into the Iowa Sports Foundation. And so it's been a great move. When I got out of coaching, I had done it for 17 years. That sounded like a really long time. Mm -hmm. But I've been doing this for 18 now. No. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're still kind of coaching, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, this position now, we're, uh, you know, it's the Iowa Sports Foundation. We do the Iowa Games, the Iowa Senior Games. Uh, we do a health and wellness uh, challenge with Live Healthy Iowa. We do adaptive sports uh, for those programming with those with physical disabilities. Uh, and we do corporate games. So we do a, a lot of things. Uh, but we're basically event planners. They just mostly happen to be sporting events. Yeah, very good. Well, we're big fans of the organization. And, uh, you know, those of you that know Philip and I, we're pretty active and uh, enjoy the sports. So, you know, we think you guys just do amazing things. And I think it's great for the state. I don't, I don't think a lot of people even know that, you know, this is like a national national thing you know there's what like 37 states or? yeah roughly 37 states that have state games and uh, we are the second largest uh, amongst those uh, Missouri being the largest but we are the most diverse mm -hmm. of all of the members of the National Congress of State Games in everything we do with the senior games and live healthy and adaptive sports mm -hmm. so we I feel like we're definitely making a difference in the state of Iowa. Yeah. And the sure. Iowa games has, has something where all the, I would say the champions or the people who placed in that get to go to a specific event that's held each right. place, like almost like a real Olympics for all the state games. That's right. what they're called state games of America. You won't say it, but I will. <laughs> um, and so Ames due to Kevin Burke's leadership and Iowa sports foundation is that for 2021. Okay. Correct. Yep. So the State Games of America is coming to Ames because of all the amazing things that you guys are doing here, mm -hmm. which is a huge testimony. It is like having Olympics kind of come oh, to yeah. our state. Right. And yeah. so not only is the venue way bigger, if you think of a more national scale, mm -hmm. but he has to find different venues all over, you know, the metro area. So 
kudos right. to you. Right. Well, thank you. We're excited about it. So I want to talk a little bit more about just you coaching, still coaching just in this uh, area of Iowa Sports Foundation. How do you get a good team around you in this position and in life? Wow, that's a good question. I wish you would have told me that ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project. Boy, I, you know, the thing that we have found in recent years of trying to find individuals, at least for our organization, is people that are, are passionate about what they do. Uh, you know, having the side gigs of trying to make money here and there, and money is important. And when you're young, it, it seems like that sometimes is the only focus. focus. Uh, but I think having a, a sense of accomplishment and really being passionate about uh, what you're doing. And I, I think that we've been able to develop a team here with the Iowa Sports Foundation of young, energetic, passionate people. And, you know, I don't, uh, there's no real secret formula, but uh, I, I think that just finding people that uh, really are well-grounded is pretty important. Totally. That's good. Man, we've covered a lot. We've what covered else? a lot. So like we it. alluded in uh, our first episode of season two that Philip and I are launching a new venture. And, um, you know, basically we're launching that venture with you. And so we kind of, I, we've kind of had this idea for a long period of time. Um, you know, I've lived in Ames, uh, recently moved away, but, uh, lived in Ames really since, uh, 2005 and, um, from the get go, seen the power of, um, you know, real estate, a lot of people that we know own real estate in different capacity, duplexes, single family homes, eight plexes, that type of thing. And, um, you know, just thinking about my own story. And a lot of the people that we're meeting, you know, coming out of school, having a lot of that passion and drive, but having some student loan debt and not really knowing what to do. And I think Philip does a good job and has always done a good job of coaching people on mentorship and the importance of mentorship. And when I got out of school, that was kind of my missing piece. I kind of knew I wanted to be in this business. Um, I had a passion for numbers and helping people. And, and so it's like putting all that together and, um, so anyways, in, in long story short, we uh, are starting a venture called Uncommon U, which is a kind of focus on college students and creating a physical space and experience for them to kind of start to cultivate their uncommonness. And so we're super excited. Um, the, I think it's an epidemic in our country with what's happening with student loan debt. Uh, it's approaching $1.5 trillion. Uh, I think almost 30% of it is non-performing, meaning kids aren't making the payments. And I think what a lot of um, people don't realize is that those payments aren't necessarily on the hook to a bank. They're on the hook to the IRS. And so the stakes are incredibly high for the next generation of our country. And when we look around, you know, Philip and I, there's not a lot of education going on. And there's not a lot of planning at the parent level uh, and the student level. And I don't see a lot of planning at the university level to really go at this. And so this is kind of a, um, I would say, a passion project for us. And, um, and you have two eight plexes in Ames right. next to Iowa State University. And so what we want to do is, is create an environment where these kids can actually live 
and would still pay rent, but um, be in an environment where we intentionally invest in those kids. Um, you know, and that's where you kind of come in, Kevin, of, you know, cultivating speakers on a monthly basis, um, you know, creating that kind of um, curated type environment where these kids can be like-minded with their peers, and then also network with local professionals, local entrepreneurs, and start making those connections uh, into the community. And so that is kind of uh, what we're working on. Do you kind of want to share anything? Yeah, you know, I what I wish it was something that I had when I was in school mm -hmm. uh, to have that opportunity to the mentorship is really important. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that uh, our, a lot of young professionals are missing out if mm -hmm. they don't have that mm -hmm. uh, because there's a lot to be learned from those with more experience like the yeah. three of us sitting here. So, uh, you know, I think that being able to cultivate a, a, a community mm -hmm. of young, like-minded, business-minded, entrepreneurial-minded individuals uh, that we can assist uh, mentoring-wise, um, networking-wise, I just think that it really creates an opportunity for them to grow, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's starting their own business or seeking out employment. And I think it can be a, a real benefit to them uh, by living in this environment mm -hmm. to uh, be able to advance their career, whatever path that might be. Yeah. And I think I, you know, we, we just see a lot of people renting and there's a lot of people that we know renting and and for me, having been in that space, and I think what you're seeing with Airbnb and being able to cultivate new ways to kind of monetize real estate, I just think that there is a massive opportunity to do the right thing and come alongside these kids and give them more value than just a bed and a four walls to live in while they're in college. And they're coming out with, you know, 50, 60, $70,000 of student loan debt. And we're wondering why, you know, new home sales and why, you know, this economy coming back from 09, uh, 08, 09 was the longest uh, kind of like uh, trough to getting out of the recession we've ever had. Um, it's because these kids are, are enslaved to student loan debt. And so um, I'm super excited about it. I think the other thing about it is partnering with you that we've seen is, you know, you have, you have, I don't want to say perfected, but really had to master bringing new people into the foundation and hiring new waves of interns each and every year. And what they get exposed to through your leadership and through the opportunities of the foundation meeting, you know, um, you know, pretty big name people in the community that have a vested interest in the foundation, organizing events all over the state, and then taking that experience and going on to, you know, a new job. Um, I think you bring a lot to the table for these kids and, and putting them in a position to learn and network and grow um, you know, while they're living in your building. And so we're just super excited uh, to be able to partner with you in that. So, yeah. well, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I mentioned it to a couple other people and their, their first reaction was, I wish I had something like that when I was yeah. in school. Because I feel like there is a missing piece in college of that yes. mentorship. And so people go into college not knowing exactly what they want to do. They get to college trying to figure out what they want to do, have a bad professor realize that that's not what they want to do. But really, is that exactly the right path? Or is it is it that in high school, they have an idea of what their gifts and strengths are. They get hooked up with a mentor. 
the mentor then says, come job shadow me and see if you even like it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And once they do, then, okay, that mentor says, okay, go to that college, take this kind of classes. And at the end of that whole trajectory, then saying, after you got a job or after you got a diploma, having a job for that person or being able to vouch for that person that I've watched them for the last four years mm -hmm. doing exactly what I told them to do. This guy's the real deal. So that's what we're trying to kind of, I guess, cultivate in this is mentors to pour into people that are understanding at a level that just need a little help and direction. Doing that's going to catapult not only them, but I think us and then everybody around in that aplex. Mm -hmm. And so, man, the sky's the limit. You see that a lot in, you know, just everywhere that you go is just getting surrounded by like-minded community propels everyone even further. And so I'm, I'm super excited about seeing what happens with that. And me too. Thanks for your leadership in that. So this has been a great interview. Thank you so much, Kevin, for your wisdom and being able to articulate that. Well, thank you guys. You guys have been awesome to me and uh, mentoring me, believe <laughs> it or not. Well, it goes both ways. So thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Uncommon Life Project. Take us out, Patricia. Thanks. Goodbye. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.